Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. We're going to talk today about the infamous, now infamous, Beth Moore tweet that went out, ironically, on a Sunday yesterday. Uh, It was kind of copycatted by a number of other progressive evangelicals. And the long and short of it is it is a condemnation of Christian nationalism. Now, it's, it's interesting to me that this whole battle bubbled over on a Sunday, the day that generally Christians set aside to go to church, to rest, to not do the activities like work they do on the rest of the, during the rest of the week. But there were many Christians working very hard on social media this past Sunday. And, uh, you know, maybe that's an appropriate thing, I guess. Uh, those who would want to rip down and deconstruct Christianity from the inside, you know, maybe um, making this battle happen on a Sunday or, you know, really just getting irritated and, and I don't know, just going back and forth on a Sunday is, is the day you want to do it. And I, I'm not saying you can't tweet on a Sunday. I'm going to show you I did respond to a number of these things. But uh, it's just... It's just weird to me. I don't know. It's just generally the weekend, especially Sundays, that's when you're not engaged in those kinds of things. You're with family, you're at church, that kind of stuff. Uh, But, uh, you know, and maybe some of these people were, I don't know. But um, it it was certainly getting zesty, uh, let's just say, on some social media platforms. And it's an opportunity. This is why I want to put this out today, Monday, um, because I, I really do think that... This has been going on for a long time, this accusation that if you're politically conservative, maybe you supported Donald Trump, you supported, perhaps uh, you voted for, for Romney, you voted for McCain, you voted for Bush, you voted for Republicans, you're a Christian nationalist. I mean, this accusation has been leveled, I don't know how many times. And I want to start to at least build the groundwork for how, for dealing with this, for understanding it, because there's a lot of, uh, there, there's terms that are not being quite defined. And so I want to to give you what I, what I think is going on, uh, some definitions, at least some understanding of these terms, so that you can intelligently respond to your progressive friend when they accuse you of engaging in the idolatry of Christian nationalism, whatever that is, right? Uh, so, um, so all that to say, uh, I'm going to be a uh, slight tangent here. I'm going to be pulling from uh, a few things uh, from the book, Social Justice Goes to Church. And for those who have not received your copy yet, I just want to say the last uh, orders, the uh, up till now, the orders that have been placed, and uh, for those who are on Patreon, because all my patrons got this for free, uh, they have gone out today, the, the last of them. So you should be receiving this in the next two weeks if you don't reach out to me. Uh, but two weeks from today, you should, you should have a copy of Social Justice Goes to Church, uh, unless, of course, Christmas presents overwhelm the post office. Um, but um, but it, you should, if everything goes the way it ought to go, uh, everyone should be getting these before Christmas. Now, if you order today, if you still want that, go to socialjusticegoestochurch.com, and I should be able to get it out later this week. Um, and it should be able to still get there before Christmas, I would think. But it's a history of the new left, uh, the uh, Christian progressives, if you want to call them that, who have influenced the current crop of social justice warriors in the church. And uh, I think it's it's been helpful to a lot of people in understanding where this came from. And I hope this podcast will also be helpful, just like hopefully the book is, uh, in understanding at least what we're dealing with and uh, some of the terms that need to be defined. And so uh, let's start with uh, talking about what happened, and then we'll kind of reverse engineer this. Uh, so we have, um, this is, <laughs> the first thing I saw was not Beth Moore. The first thing I saw was Denny Burke. Denny Burke is a professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he had posted, I'm here for the evangelicalism that isn't idolatrous Christian nationalism. And 
That was at 1.55 a.m. On a Saturday night, uh, he posted this. So, um, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I was just like, where is this coming from? I, I think I know now, uh, and I'm going to tell you, but there, there were a number of these, and there's so many, I'm sure I'm not getting even probably... 5% of all the, the tweets that are out there. But I this one was from Kenneth Keithley. He's a professor at the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Sometimes an idol has to be called what it is. And he uh, referenced a uh, piece by David French, which we're not going to go over. Uh, but it's called The Dangerous Idolatry of Christian Trumpism. And then uh, Karen Swallow Pryor, also now a professor at the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, referenced the David French article and quoted it. It's time for conservative Christian leaders to shed any form of fear and to speak against conspiracies and against slander with the same boldness. And the, the I guess this is a picture from, it looks like inside a church. It's just Christians, I guess, worshiping. I don't know if they have MAGA hats. I don't know if that's, I don't know, but... That's all I can see from this little screenshot. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, and then we have Beth Moore. And this is this is the one that got all the traction. This is uh, when I went into Twitter. And this is just ironic. Look at this. Um, so, so the headline is, Four people stabbed in Washington, D.C. amid clashes between Trump supporters and Antifa. And then you have Beth Moore uh, right under that. Trending. Politics. Beth Moore. Uh, and she says, I do not believe there are days for min- these are days for mincing words. Okay, I mean, that's good to hear because we're kind of sick of the, the calculating, the, the, um, we're against critical race theory, but there is systemic racism in every American institution, as Al Moore likes to say. We're sick of that doublespeak, right? We want clarity. So, so kudos to Beth Moore for saying, she's right about this. I agree wholeheartedly. These are not the days for mincing words. Of course, Beth Moore and I are on opposite sides here. I'm 63 and a half years old. <laughs> and a half. I guess that's important. Um, I have never seen anything in these United States of America. And I, I have to say, here's the second thing. I, maybe I'm being too nice to Beth Moore, but I appreciate that she said these United States of America. That's actually archaic. I don't know if she meant to say it that way, but... Uh, I don't, I don't like saying the United States of America, even though I do. It actually is these United States. They're, it's a federation of states. That's, that's how it should be. So, uh, so Beth Moore promoting federalism. But she says, um, I have never seen anything in these United States of America I found more astonishingly seductive and dangerous to the saints of God than... Now, I want you to think for a minute. What would you put in that category? What would you put there? Uh, pornography? Uh, I don't know, feminism that supports abortion, that kind of thinking, uh, sexual anarchy. I mean, wh- what are the things that are destroying the country the most, do you think? She puts in this category, Trumpism. Trumpism. Yeah, that's more astonishingly seductive and dangerous to the saints, to Christians, uh, than anything else, apparently. Trumpism. Now, whatever Trumpism is. Now, I've this term gets thrown around all the time. I think the best, and I did a whole episode on this. In fact, I'll try to find it and remember to link it in the show notes, uh, where um, there were some Democrat political operatives before the election talking about Trumpism. And one of them says, Trumpism is the idea that America is not an idea, but a country. And I did a whole episode defending that because I'm, if that's what Trumpism is, then I'm, I guess I'm a Trumpist. I mean, 
absolutely america's uh, a country and not it's a it's a place it's a people it's a country it's not an idea this abstract thing that's ridiculous it's like saying your your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your husband or your wife or your children or someone someone you know and love you're just an idea you know uh, that's stu- stupid it's stupid um so I did a whole episode on that, and if you're confused by that because you've heard so-called conservatives use that terminology, go watch the episode, and you'll see what I'm talking about there. It does, doesn't come from conservatism, but what, what I mean, other than that, what is Trumpism? It just seems like it's a catch-all word for sexism and racism and xenophobia and like anything negative that the left thinks is horrible. They just put in this category of this is Trumpism, and and. So, so Beth Moore is saying that's the seductive thing. That's the dangerous thing. Trumpism. This Christian nationalism is not of God. Move back from it. Now, here's another thing to, to just say about this before I read the, her next two tweets. Uh, she was the one that I think it was a week ago I had referenced Beth Moore and said, it's, I really respect the fact, even though we're on opposite sides here, that Beth Moore, um, he, she wanted the heads of the Southern Baptist seminaries to define critical race theory for her. Because she said, you're not defining it. What, what are you talking about? What do you mean by it, right? And I said, that's absolutely correct. They should define it. Well, I would like Beth Moore to define Trumpism. What does she mean by Trumpism? Because it's not helpful. I mean, Trump, what it, what's so unique about Trump that is different than what what's come before him? I mean, I'm thinking America first. Uh, I'm thinking the you know the idea that this is a country that I mean it's so basic really the love loving this country and um, I mean there's, I guess certain policies maybe for some protectionism is that Trumpism what, what exactly is she talking about so but it's so horrible uh, that Christians need to move back from it fellow leaders we will be held responsible for remaining passive in this day for seduction to save our own skin while the saints we've been entrusted to serve are being seduced, manipulated, used, and stirred up into the lather of zeal devoid of the Holy Spirit for political gain. So you're saying devoid of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a serious charge. Kind of a serious charge. Um, you're saying that this is, you know, this is a Christian heresy. Uh, I mean, it's worse than that. This is a false teaching that's crept in. We still don't know what it is, but that's that's how she's treating this. This is we're going to be held responsible because I guess there's an eternal significance. The Holy Spirit's not part of this. Uh, and God help us. We don't turn from Trumpism to Bidenism. Okay. I don't, know, I don't know what Bidenism is. We do not worship flesh and blood. We do not place our faith in mortals. We are the church of the living God. We can't sanctify idolatry by labeling a, labeling a leader Cyrus. We need no Cyrus. We have a king. His name is Jesus. Now, a uh, few things here. Um, I think this is the safety you know, her third tweet, you know, look at the, I mean, by the time when I screenshotted this, uh, 63.6 thousand likes for her first one. By the time you get to the third one, 17.7, not as many people see the third tweet. And that's when she's talking about Bidenism. I think it's a safety because Beth Moore has already talked Beth Moore has been a Democrat and she's, this is known. This has been exposed. You can go search for it and, you, and you'll find the info for that. Uh, but she, she's certainly on the left. She thinks, critical race theory is not the threat is not a threat really um or at least she wants the seminary heads to define it but she thinks neo-fundamentalism is the real threat comparatively speaking she she's uh, i mean i don't have to go through all the different instances but theologically politically beth moore on the left uh especially by southern baptist standards there's no question about that but she she wants to make sure she's putting in the language we don't want to go to bidenism 
I know less of what Bidenism is than I do what Trumpism is. Bidenism is like an empty shell in my mind. Bidenism is, I mean, it's it's heresism. <laughs> Heresy? I mean, I'm a Harris, so it's kind of weird for me to say this, but it's it's, um, it, it's the vice president that I think is going to be filling more of the, the political, uh, I- ideological checkboxes, right? Biden's kind of, he's a politician. He's uh, He's on the left, but he's kind of an empty suit in a way. So I don't know what she means by Bidenism. Um, we do not worship uh, flesh and blood. Well, of course we don't. But we are governed by flesh and blood in the political realm, in the civil realm. So, th- I mean, this is just, why, why even say that? I mean, this just muddies the waters. I mean, are there people that are out there worshiping Trump or worshiping Biden? I guess I'd have to see what she's talking about. What example are you giving that they're ascribing traits of deity to these people? Um, I mean, I see people ascribing traits of DAD to the government whenever there's emergencies like, oh, no, COVID's going to kill us. We cry out to our gods. Government's our God. I mean, you see that kind of thing. But that's more on the left that you see the treating government as God. Um, People certainly look up to Trump, respect Trump, are appreciative of Trump. But worshiping Trump, uh, treating him as God, ascribing those qualities of deity, I I don't know. I'd have to see what she's talking about. I don't know what she's talking about. And for it to be like the biggest thing. That's, you know, that she's found in her 63 and a half years of life to be seductive and dangerous to the saints. I mean, it must be a pretty bad thing, whatever this is. Uh, we do not place our faith in mortals. Okay. We are, I mean, when you're choosing the elders of a church, do they have to meet qualifications? Yes. Does that mean you're placing your faith in more? No. So what is what do you mean? Like We don't place ultimate faith in mortals, but we do have a degree of confidence. When you marry your spouse, are you placing some amount of faith? When you give your child the keys to the car for the first time, is there some amount of faith? Well, yeah. So what is she talking about here? Uh, she's making it sound like there's this, there's this religion happening. The, the, these uh, people are switching out Jesus for Trump, and that's the problem. Uh, we are the church of the living God. We can't sanctify idolatry. Now, that's a serious charge. So that this is... She's accusing people who believe in whatever Trumpism is uh, to be idolatrous. And and that's it. You know, that that's kind of the end of the tweet. Now, this is not helpful at all. This is not, um, I guess she's trying to signal to other Christian leaders to stand against whatever this is, but it's not, she's not defining her terms. People don't know what she's talking about. You'd think someone like myself would know what she's talking about since I'm fairly politically, you know, I, I know kind of what's going on in politics. And, uh, you know, I, I have paid attention uh, to what Trump said over the last four years. You'd think if anyone would know, I'd know what she's talking about. And I don't know what she's talking about. Um, in it, it, I should say this. I don't know what she's talking about, given the grammar that she's using in the English language. But do I know what she's talking about symbolically? Do I know, uh, I'm not going to use the dog whistle language the Democrats like to use because they like to do that all the time, but do I know where she's trying to move the needle, what she's trying to say uh, to um, the people who are listening to her? Yes, and you, see, you do see it here. You do see a moral posturing. Those who supported Trump or believe in Trumpism, whatever that is, see, that's the question. But it op- it's so vague, I think that's a purposeful ba- vagueness. And I've seen this so many times, all, and I'm get, beginning to, to get the hang of it. It's a purposeful vagueness. The, the, intent, the, the intent is likely not to communicate. If it is, this is a train wreck. The intent, and I don't think Beth Moore is, is stupid. I think she's smart. The intent is very likely, this is a, this is a paradigm that 
makes sense of this more than the, the idea that she's trying to communicate uh, in a rational fashion. The intent is to disparage a pol the opposite side, the side that she does not like politically, those who voted for Trump. This is an intent. Uh, the, the intent behind this is to disparage them. They aren't real Christians. They are following a false religion. They are engaged in idolatry. They are, uh, the Holy Spirit's not part of it. Um, they are being seduced by something dangerous. Uh, they are switching out the King Jesus for King Trump. I mean, that's, this is what she's trying to communicate. And this is how it emotionally comes across. And, uh, and that's exactly what I think is going on. I, I think that's why everyone that is following in the wake of this, this juggernaut of a boat that's going, this, you know, Beth Moore has almost a million followers on Twitter. When Beth Moore tweets it out, it's popular. And all these people following in her wake, following on her coattails at these SBC seminaries and in other denominations, uh, look at what they're saying. And I think it's, it's, that's the only paradigm that makes sense of this. It is to bludgeon political opponents. It is a political tactic. Uh, this is not with the intention of care and concern and wanting to communicate clearly so people can understand and avoid. This is uh, demonization of your political opponent. And, um, and, and here's, here's just a few things. This is what I, how I responded. I said, uh, seriously, more dangerous than pro-abortion radical feminism, than the movement to normalize sexual deviancies, than the Black Lives Matter let's shame white people and loot, then Bernie Sanders socialism, then Islamic fundamentalism in Michigan, then big tech cancel culture, it's Trump. So Twitter only gives me so many <laughs> words, but I tried to put in as many things as I could think of in that amount of time. And I could have put more that are significantly more concerning than Donald Trump. Uh, Denny Burke, uh, he said, I'm here for the evangelicalism that isn't idolatrous Christian nationalism. So I said, I'm here for the evangelicalism that isn't postmodern deconstructionism, identity politics, and socialism. Uh, I mean, I mean, I can define for you what postmodern deconstructionism is and identity politics and socialism. These things I think are, are fairly well defined. People, if you have a little political savvy, you know what I'm talking about. Most people don't understand really what Christian nationalism is, though. And, and so that's part of the purpose of this podcast is I want to explore that a little bit. And here's one other thing. Now, some of you will get a kick out of this. I posted this, I think, on most of my social media accounts because I've just I'm, I'm been observing these guys for like two years now. And I've just noticed uh, and these guys, I mean, Christian elitists, the heads of publishing houses and institutions and seminaries, denominations, etc. Big Eva, right? That's the word that Phil Johnson coined. So here's how I say this is. How to be a big Eva elitist? Because it just annoyed me seeing what these people are doing. Seeing it, the divide really is between like working class and elites. It seems like. And here's how the elitists act: big Eva elitists love the city, hate the nation. Right? Love the city, hate the nation. Um, I mean, Tim Keller's the, the prime example. I mean, the city is just you're supposed to seek the welfare of the city. You hear that verse all the time. Cities are, are where God's moving, and there's an eschatological reality there that came from Harvey Kahn. Uh, but hate the nation. Nationalism is bad. Uh, what America's done, especially in the past, but it's currently doing as well, it's, it's bad. We're bad people. But love the city. City's a great place. The most secular areas in our country, look at the map of the places that voted for Biden by county. The cities, right? Those are the places. The, the, that, that's where evil is, too. Like if you're, I mean, not, not that evil's not in the country or in the rural or suburban areas. It is. But 
it's the city where you see uh, the most the, the the kinds of evil that are rotting our culture out in the entertainment industry, uh, in the media, in academia, and in, in these kinds of places. I mean, th those are the capitals for the, these kinds of things. And uh, so here's number two: give ideas on the left a charitable reading. You hear that word charitable reading a lot? I, I can't stand that. When we want to be accurate, when accurate readings, right? Not charitable readings. Uh, give give ideas on the left a charitable reading. Purposefully uh, misunderstand and condemn ideas on the right. Claim you're a moderate. You see this all the time. I'm a moderate. I'm not left or right because I'm against abortion, but everything else I believe is of the left. Uh, or, you know, I'm against abortion and I think that maybe there isn't transgenderism. Uh, I mean, I don't even know if Big Eva elites are, are there anymore. I mean, they may even think that transgenderism is a thing. I don't know, depending on which one you talk to. Uh, but they're con this is how they treat ideas on the left. They, they give them charitable readings. Oh, I understand what that person's trying to do. I just have a difference. Uh, but on the right, it's outright condemn. You know, if, take the border security issue. There's not even an attempt to understand the plans that a Republican might have for that or what Trump might think about that. It's just condemn. Um, passive aggressively subtweet conservatives while leaving room for plausible deniability. I see this all the time. Shadowboxing on Twitter. Or, or on Facebook, uh, Big Eva Elite will say something. Um, and you see this a little bit with the Beth Moore tweet. It's kind of like, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to challenge all the Trump supporters, but I'm going to use the word Trumpism, and no one really quite knows what that means. And so I have plausible deniability. If someone calls me out for it, I can then, uh, I, I, this plays into the next one. If someone catches your meaning and calls you out, play the victim. Misogynist racists are after me for my bold stand. So if you say, Beth Moore, you know, how dare you condemn Trump supporters? She can say, well, I wasn't condemning Trump supporters. You know, how I, I, I was, uh, I was talking about Trumpism and, or, or you know, it's vague enough that you can hide in that. And then you can use that against those who would call you out or figure out the intended meaning. Whatever the government mandates, unless it's Trump, find biblical support, even if it means breaking every rule for Bible interpretation. <laughs> this is so true. Um, you know, like, think about it this way. Uh, the masks, you know, wearing a mask is loving your neighbor. Shutting down your church is loving your neighbor, right? Um, and, and your neighbor is the weaker brother. So therefore, you need to do it for him, right? I, I've seen this used. I think uh, Gospel Coalition was using this. But let's, let's think about the vaccine. Who's the weaker brother on the vaccine issue? Someone doesn't want to take the vaccine. They say, I don't, you know, I don't want a vaccine that's made from stem, some, some lines that come from aborted fetus. All right. Uh, I just, my conscience can't handle that. Well, who's the weaker brother in that situation? Uh, all of a sudden, that passage isn't being used. You still have to love neighbor by taking the vaccine. Uh, it's whatever the government wants. Uh, there's a Bible verse that will be used to back it up. Paint discerning Christians as divisive. This happens all the time. Paint heretics who agree with you politically as courageous. <laughs> MLK, anyone? Uh, who was the one that just died? Al Mohler had, um, oh, it was a senator, and I can't remember his name now, uh, from down in Georgia. Uh, ooh, it, was a, it was a very liberal senator, and Al Mohler had done this thing, honoring this senator. And um, anyway, uh, Paint, uh, let's see, make everything you despise an idol and everything you idolize a gospel issue. Make everything you despise an idol and everything you idolize a gospel issue. Not even going to comment on that. Just think about it. Never condemn another member of the Big Eva Guild. Freely condemn any no-name, uh, uh, no-namer 
for not going to the Big Eva member privately when they spoke public error. So um, th this, I mean, we see this all the time. It's used to say, how dare you condemn someone publicly for something they said publicly? How dare you go against them? You contradict them. You uh, use some discernment on what they said. Uh, you're supposed to go to them privately. Uh, but if they're, but, but if you think about it, it's a contradiction because when someone does that to you publicly, they're breaking their own rule because <laughs> they're condemning you publicly, not going to you privately, right? So it's complete self-refutation. Get your definitions right. Love is submission to tyranny. Inclusion is excluding undesirables. Equity is treating social groups as unequal. Diversity is shunning those sociologists say are oppressors. Justice is injustice. Rights are selfish, frivolous desires. Nationalism is hating everyone else. And I'm going to get to this. Being a witness is virtue signaling, agreement with the world. This is where we are, guys. Up is down, down is up. The world has been turned on its head. And our evangelical, quote-unquote, leaders are, unfortunately, some of the main ones that are promoting this. And think about the ones that you still have hope for, the ones that are conservative in your minds. They're, uh, they actually believe words have definitions. I mean, that's what it takes to be a conservative now. Where are they calling this stuff out? Where are they leading, contradicting these kinds of things? So that's a challenge. Now, this is a side tangent because we're, this is about nationalism. But I, it, this was, it was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. I just, I'm like, you know, th this is what characterizes you guys. And I just, I wanted to put it out there. And I want you guys to think about it. Uh, you know, many have already <laughs> liked this and, and said, oh, that's, that nails it. That's, that describes kind of who these people are. But it's a sad thing for me because, you know, I, I, I held up hope for a while that what I thought was happening was not happening. And, and I was wrong. The socialist revolution, the World Economic Forum, uh, global fascism that they want to implement, that kind of stuff. It's, it's, we have people that are pushing, that are moving the needle in Christian areas that are making way for this kind of stuff. And, um, and, and I don't have patience for it anymore. And I don't think you should either. This is not stuff to play around with. So let's, uh, we're going to be called Christian nationalists if we love our country and want to defend the sovereignty of this country, etc. So let's talk about what that all means. First, I want to acknowledge this is something, this is a discussion, I could have brought you many examples that is going on in secular media. Uh, here's Salon. Here's an article from October 4, 2020. The rise of Christian nationalism in America, fixing our eyes on American poverty. Well, it's, and it goes through this whole thing. And of course, it's Mike Pence. Mike Pence is the representative of Christian nationalism. Such a horrible thing. Where does this come from? Well, uh, there's probably a few places we could start. In my opinion, this is the best place to start. Robert Bell's Civil Religion in 1960. I really think this is kind of the, definitionally, this is where we start seeing from the left, which Robert Bell is definitely from the left. Um, Tim Keller likes Robert Bell. We see these attacks. Uh, and and it's, it, it starts in academia usually with putting whatever it is under the microscope to analyze, to pick apart uh, but not in necessarily, an, uh, not in an unbiased way. Uh, it's it's for the purpose of gaining control over that thing. Uh, so if you get if you're allowed to define something, you have control over that thing. This is how I'm just telling you. I've been in academia long enough. This is how it. Why, why do you think? Here, let me give you this example. Why do you think every year there's one or two books published on the Christian right? Just about every single year. Uh, I think the last one was Jesus and John Wayne, right? 
uh, by a professor at Calvin College uh, who is so far left. How in the world is this person teaching at a Christian institution? But that's where Calvin College is or Calvin University. So, um, so the, the, these books, it, it is a uh, business in and of itself that these books come out every single year, just about. And they, it's been that way since, since at least the 90s. Um, but I think it stems from, the, this is sort of the rudimentary uh, picking apart. And this is Robert Bell's Civil Religion, 1960. Uh, this was his concept. He, and, and this is a um, quote from, from my book, uh, Social Justice Goes to Church. For the evangelical left, replacing incorrect understanding of hermeneutics, soteriology, and ecclesiology were incomplete without also rescuing Jesus from what sociologist Robert Bella called America's civil religion. Historians have routinely thought of mainstream figures like Billy Graham as exemplifying a virtuous and nationalist conception of America, popularized by Lincoln and laced with biblical imagery and a sense of chosenness. Evangelical social justice advocates believe this template was diametrically opposed to the example of the biblical Jesus. And if you read the book, I, I show you how uh, they have a different gospel, a different Jesus. Now, of course, I'm, I'm as an academic, I'm writing this in a way that's... Uh, if you didn't know who I am, you would probably think it's coming across objectively. Uh, you wouldn't know where I stand exactly. Um, but they, they have... Jesus was this radical revolutionary. It's the liberation theology Jesus. Uh, salvation is about saving social structures, not just these individual, you know, that's half the gospel is individuals. The other half is sa saving social structures. Uh, so, so Robert Bella is, um, he's giving a category, a, a new left category to Christians who would emerge in the seventies, uh, new left Christians, evangelicals who would use this to say it's a false religion. America's civil religion is a false religion. And that's what the majority, how convenient, that's what the majority of evangelicals are. And we are the ones with the truth, with the true Jesus, the true gospel. And, um, and I'm going to give you, here, here's just taking you through some examples from that era. Uh, Carl Henry, right, Mr. Neo-Evangelicals, helped start Fuller Theological Seminary, Christianity Day, mentor for Al Mohler, by the way. Uh, he wrote uh, The Uneasy Conscience of Modern Fundamentalism. And here's what he said in 1970. Uh, Carl Henry observed in the 1970 Christianity Today article that young evangelicals wanted an honest look at many churches' idolatry of nationalism. This is Carl Henry in 1970. Guys, what Beth Moore is saying right now is not new. It's just more mainstream. Carl Henry saying this in 1970. At the same time, they also desire aggressively promoting racial equality, greater involvement in socio-political affairs, diminishing respect for authority figures who represent economic power structures, the elevation of young people in controlling church policy, the elimination of middle-class standards of decency, and favoring the underground church over the institutional church. Now, you tell me that doesn't sound very close to what we're dealing with now. And this was in 1970. Carl Henry. Here's the first edition of the Post-American, picture of Jesus with an American flag draped over him and a crown of thorns, uh, with looks like a skyscraper in the background, uh, the voice of the People's Christian Coalition. That doesn't sound communist, right? This is Jim Wallace's organization that became Sojourners. 1971, Tom Loudon, an associate editor of the Post-American, opined in the first issue that if Christ came back today, militarists would call him a subversive nationalists would call would claim he was not a true american and people would realize that he was a traitor for calling them to live for another kingdom in short everyone would think he was trying to destroy the american way of life what's he communicating what he's saying is there's no neutrality that uh christ would come back and would he would be part of a completely different religion he's saying that everyone that 
believes in this nationalistic Christianity is not really a Christian. It's a different religion than the one Jesus uh, would have us believe. That's a very serious charge, right? Um, and nationalism is part of this. Nationalist, right? Uh, he was not a true American. Uh, because and, and it comes down to uh, this, it, and some people say a one kingdom, two kingdom kind of division here, but they believe that, uh, this, and it carries through today, that each, some of these eternal realities, um, like, for instance, the multi-ethnic church model, you know, every tribe, tongue, nation, we got to push for this now. We got to, in a revolutionary way, push for this on this earth. Well, that's not what that is. That's, that's in the final state. That's something God does. That's not, we're not ever commanded to, to make that happen on this earth. But there's an expectation that it should. It's sort of a utopian expectation because that's a heavenly reality. And that's the kind of thing. This is, and this is very important for, for y'all to understand this. Progressives are trying to progress towards a utopia of some kind. Some kind of, if it's not perfect, it's near perfect. This, this great situation. And, uh, and what, you know, in the world economics forms mind, that means there's no private property, right? We're all stakeholders, stakeholder capitalism. We don't actually own anything. So there's, there's different ways to conceive of what that utopia might look like. But for those influenced by the new left, socialist ideas, those, that's what that is. Critical race theory is part of this, came out of this. Um, there's, there's only one kingdom, right? That's the one that you are pursuing, that's the one that everything should be about, this one kingdom. And, and so in their minds, uh, you can't have a competitor, and loving your country would be a competitor. To, to love your country is a split allegiance between, if you're a Christian, between loving your country and loving the kingdom of God. You can't have both. you got to choose one. So they're forcing a choice that Scripture doesn't actually force. It's legalism, guys. That's Pharisaism. That's adding to the law of God. This is Galatian heresy right here. Adding to the law of God. Adding a, a requirement that without it, you don't have authentic Christianity. You don't actually have salvation, that means. You're not really justified. You're following a false religion. Serious stuff, guys. I hope you see this. Now, here's, here's another example. Jim Wallace in 1976 said, Many Christians are now learning that obedient discipleship involves a rejection of the greed, the racism, the violence, and the aggressive nationalism that have come to characterize the life of the nation and its institutions. Now, I'm, I'm just going to tell you because I've read a lot of this stuff. When they're talking about nationalism at that time, most likely what they're talking about is it's very tied to the military. It's very tied to law and order, and especially more than anything else, Vietnam. Uh, that's what they mean when they mean nationalism. And, and it all comes down to this idea that our country is is the best, or our country is worth uh, protecting, defending the institutions of this country, the traditions are worth protecting and defending, and uh, we don't mind if we have to destroy or push back other countries and other institutions in those countries and traditions in order to protect our own. That's what they're talking about at that time. This is the new left, this is the 60s radicals. And I think that that's what carries through to today. And, and you, you catch it more in their use of the term than you do an actual definition. They don't really define it. I haven't found one, at least. Um, Wes Granberg Michelson, 1976. In this is what he says. Uh, this is uh, 1976. That's the nation's bicentennial. And it was an article about it. And he states that scripture unmasks the, the, the pretensions of our idols, ideologies, and nationalism. It de-Americanizes the gospel. So the problem is the gospel is just too American. 
Now, here's, here's the thing, guys. Think about this. What would happen if the gospel took sprout in China? Well, in fact, it, it has taken, taken roots in China, hasn't it? What would happen if the gospel uh, sprouted up in Iran? Iran. Well, it has, right? Many countries have had the gospel spring up in them. And what does it look like in those countries? Let's take uh, South Korea. What does the gospel and what does the church look like in South Korea? Looks kind of South Korean. Now, there's influences from the United States because just because there's so much money from the United States and Christians in the United States pouring money into these things. But uh, if you go to Russia, the church is going to kind of look Russian. In fact, uh, they may have borrowed some of their traditions. For instance, the date of Christmas, when you celebrate it, from uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church, even though they're evangelical. What's up with that? Is that, is that uh, Christian nationalism in Russia? No, it's just the way the church looks in a certain context, because culture is fluid. It's being affected by many things. Uh, it's, it, there's ties to the land. There's traditions of people. There's language. There's all sorts of things that go into form a culture. The, the kinds of uh, items available to make food <laughs> and the kinds of food you eat. And, and I mean, so many things affect culture. And those things are going to affect the, what your church is like, because Christianity and not just Christianity, but religion in general, is part of a culture. In fact, it's the, one of the most fundamental things to a culture. And this is what the, these folks don't seem to understand. They have a very abstract idea in their heads of what utopia looks like, and they want to just cram that down everyone else's throats. Everyone's got to accept that idea so that they can have their utopia. Uh, principles like equality, equi you know, equity now, uh, diversity, inclusion, used to be tolerance. They don't use tolerance anymore. You notice that? The, you know, these kinds of things uh, have their, they, they have a working out. They have uh, specific actions that are supposed to take place to promote these things, to um, achieve an end result of some kind. And it doesn't matter what kinds of things get in the way of what their achieved end result is. It's acid on a culture. A historical monument gets in the way, rip it down. Uh, hey, a person who's a CEO of a company gets uh, in the way, shame them, cancel them. Um, a certain tradition that Americans have participated in for uh, years and years and years gets in the way. Well, uh, we got to stop celebrating that. It's wrong. We're going to have Indigenous Peoples Day instead of Columbus Day. Um, I mean, look, we can go on and on and on and on. Uh, but that is, that is the point of this whole thing. Um, and so uh, I think the way conservatives look at this and the way progressives look at this are completely different. And we got to understand that. The conservatives look at this like, what are you talking about? The church is going to look different depending on what culture it's in, and that's fine, at least the conservatives today. I mean, there have been more imperialistic in the past, uh, and there probably still are some, I don't know, who go and they're, they're not just promoting um, you know, uh, Christianity, but they also are going to try to shove down the throat of whoever they're witnessing to certain Western values which aren't native to that place. I mean, that has happened, but that's not the situation we're in now. Um, and, and that's not, uh, you know, that, that's, I mean, I don't know anyone who thinks that way at all. Uh, the, the Christians that are alive today in the United States of America in general, those who are conservative don't have a problem with the church looking different in different contexts, but progressives do. They're not okay with a church that is for a specific group of people because we all got to be one. We all got to be, uh, 
have the exact same, we're one body of Christ. So we all got to have, come together and, you know, be the exact, exactly the same. And it's fine to have a, look, I told, I've told you guys, I, I grew up in a church that became very multicultural and I loved it and it's fine. It's great. And I think that is appropriate, but it's not something that's forced. It's not, and it's not, a, you know, not using that to achieve some kind of utopia. It's just people who like to be with each other and worship God together using their spiritual gifts. They're, it's bride of Christ. And it's okay if there's a Chinese Christian church down the road and they have traditions that look a little different and that's what they grew up with. Anyway, that's how conservatives think. <laughs> and, uh, and they don't cause problems because of that as much. But it's the forcing. It's the totalitarian aspect that, that you get from the progressives on the left. And the church is no, the church is no exception. 1983, The Search for Christian America. Mark Knoll, Nathan Hatch, George Marsden. You might recognize these names because if you went to seminary, you would have had to read probably at least Mark Knoll and George Marsden. Here's what they said. The religious right is a reaction to the Supreme Court on abortion and the bicentennial reminder of the Christian past, which led to a new evangelical engagement in public life and fueled actions that were already underway. Their concern was both historical and practical. The nature of culture shows that the idea of a Christian nation is a very ambiguous concept, which is usually harmful to effective Christian action in society. So they didn't like this idea of a Christian nation. Now, I'll tell you what, the language there, I don't like that idea either. <laughs> I don't, a Christian nation in the sense, if, if what you mean by that, is everyone's a Christian, and that's forced. Um, I think upholding Christian moral standards, yes, but you can't force conversion. Um, a Christian nation, though, in the sense, let's say, uh, that we're influenced by Christian ideas, yeah, absolutely. Something's got to fill that vacuum. It's going to be Christianity or something else. So what did they mean by it? Now, because they said, hey, it's a very ambiguous concept, which usually harmful or effective uh, is harmful to Christians in society. And, and really, if you read the book, it, it, they're reacting to people like um, uh, Marshall and uh, probably, the, the you know, I don't know if Barton was uh, Peter Marshall and David Barton, those kinds of people. I don't know if Barton was publishing at this time, but I don't think he was. This is a little before him. But that's what they're reacting to. Now, there is a sense in which, uh, and I think you can trace this back to the Puritans, John Winthrop, uh, City on a Hill, that's what America is. It's a, um, there is a sense in which uh, there's this idea of we're going to set up almost like the perfect human society. And that's our goal. And when the sons and daughters of the Puritans became Unitarians and transcendentalists and progressives, and today you see the Northeast is one of the most liberal areas in the whole entire country, it, they kind of kept that idea of we're going to transform society, uh, but they uh, they don't have the Christian ethic anymore. So they're using a different ethic to try to transform society. And I, I do see that as a dangerous thing. But in 1983, when they're writing this, when they're talking about the rise of the religious right, when they're talking about, uh, you know, Jerry Falwell, I think it was what, 1979 or 80 when he starts the, the moral majority uh, this is, you know, they're referencing the bicentennial reminder of the Christian past. Carter had campaigned on a Christian uh, platform in some ways, or at least there was a virtue. He wanted a Christian virtue he campaigned on. I mean, this is the context in which they're writing. And they're saying, yeah, it's not a helpful thing to think of this nation as a Christian nation. So what Beth Moore is saying, what others are saying right now, I just want you to realize this. It's not new. 
you know, if they think they discovered something or they're, you know, taking this bold stand that's never been taken before, no, this battle's been going on for a long time. And, and hopefully you're understanding some of the issues better. Now, I want to, um, to give you a sense of the word nationalism, which is, not, which is a negative sense. And then we're going we're gonna to talk about what I think it means today, but I need to take you through this. What is nationalism? This is from 1889. Actually, I'm going to read for you first a quote from 1888 from Edward Bellamy. Edward Bellamy uh, is the cousin of, uh, I think it's Francis Bellamy, if I'm not mistaken, who wrote the Pledge of Allegiance. Edward Bellamy, however, uh, wrote a book called Looking, I think it's called Looking Backward, and it's a socialist book. It was extremely popular at the time, and he had hundreds, uh, well, between one and 200 uh, national groups, these nationalist clubs across the United States uh, that were for promoting his socialism. Now, here's what he says. Every sensible man will admit there is a big deal in a name, especially in making first impressions. In the radicalness of the opinions I have expressed, see, he's saying I'm a radical, I may seem to out-socialize the socialists, yet the word socialist is one I never could well stomach. In the first place, it is a foreign word in itself, and equally foreign in all its suggestions. It smells to the average American of petroleum, suggesting the red flag and with all manner of sexual novelties and an abusive tone about God and religion, which in this country we at least treat with respect. So what's he saying? I'm not going to use the word socialism. Americans see the word socialism and they, they run the other way. So what does he do? Whatever German and French reformers may choose to call themselves, socialist is not a good name for a party to succeed with in America. No such party can or ought to succeed that is not wholly and enthusiastically American and patriotic in spirit and suggestions. There's a, uh, a journal called The Nationalist. Next year, 1889, Edward Bellamy was involved in this. He wrote the, uh, the, the first, I think he, he may have owned it, or I'm not sure if he, exactly what his level of involvement, but he wrote for it, certainly. And here is uh, an article called Nationalism and Christianity. I'm going to read for you an excerpt from this, just so th this is for, you may wonder, why am I doing this? Well, this is so when these conversations come up, you'll know uh, where the, the, these term, the term nationalism comes from, because the term nationalism, it wasn't used really. You don't find it in the founding generation. You don't find it being used uh, even in the Civil War. You don't find the word nationalism. It's a fairly new term. Um, now, nation's not. Na to nationalize isn't, but nationalism being used the way it's used today is. And I read from The Nationalist. Nationalism is not throwing off our burdens upon Uncle Sam. Nationalism is not paternalism. It is not laziness. Nationalists would not have everyone be supported by the government. They would have everybody be the government. They believe in government, but in self-government. They believe in rule, but in self-rule. And this distinction must be ever, ever be remembered. Now, that may sound good to some of you. What he's talking about, though, is like Bernie Sanders' democratic socialism. He's saying it's not socialism, it's democracy. That's the argument he's making. Merely to extend, government might be, as in the case of most modern governments, would be merely an external tyrannical to develop slavery. No intimate acquaintance of Uncle Sam. However, we may admire his essential and inner characteristics, can be very enthusiastic about extending his powers in this present state of development. But this is not nationalism. Nationalism is to nationalize industry and thereby to promote the brotherhood of humanity. The brotherhood of humanity. Does that sound like nationalism? 
the way it's used today or, or the opposite? <laughs> that is only to nationalize industry so far as this shall promote human brotherhood. Government, therefore, must only be extended so far as it not be paternalism, but a brotherhood truly democratic. And this pledges nationalists to many things. Every nationalist must strive for ballot reform, for a radical and thorough civil service reform, a true one, not a sham one. Hand in hand with extension of government must go reform in government. And under nationalism, these will inevitably develop together. Just so far as men become nationalists, just so far as they come to conceive of government as the organic unity of a people organized to do the complete business of the people, just so far as they of necessity cease to think of it as a fond, uh, as a fond old uncle, existing mainly to be wheedled, wheeled into bounties of candy and pin money, or to be a resource and protection against the workers of strict justice. No nationalist who realize the government is the business corporation to which he belongs can ever sell his ballot or endorse political corruption. Almost done. Nationalism means essentially the application of ethics and equity through government to business. Its development means the development of righteousness in social order. And righteousness is Christianity. A man who asked if he believed in Christianity, his answer was that he should first like to see it tried. Nationalists think that they too would like for once to see Christianity tried. Now, let me, let me explain this to you. This is Bernie Sanders talk uh, from over a hundred years ago. This is what you're listening to. This is if Bernie Sanders lived in a country that was so thoroughly uh, influenced by Christianity that most people thought of themselves as Christians. This is how he would talk. Now, there's a few observations to make here. One is Francis Bellamy, Edward Bellamy, sorry, Edward Bellamy has to hide his socialism by appealing to Americanism and Christianity and using the terminology they're familiar with. So self-government is used. Um, he talks about, you know, all sort of, there's all sorts of patriotic things in here. Uh, but of course, Christianity being the main one. And, you know, Uncle Sam uses that term. So he's saying all this stuff. But what do you actually find in principle? In principle, he's saying that the entire country should control uh, the, the business, the, the, the business of the country, the means of production should be controlled by the people. This is communism. That's what he's talking about. He's just packaging it differently. And the term he used to package it was nationalism. And it was uh, certainly infused with Christianity. And you can see a, a welding together here of Christianity and socialism. Now, to our ears today, this, this may seem almost like conservative, you know, wow, Christianity is going to affect the government? Who would ever think that? Edward Bellamy would use that kind of language. Uh, he didn't write this specific piece. It was just in a publication though, that he was very fond of. I, I don't think I have the title right off the top of my, yeah, I don't have it readily available of who wrote it, but it was in that, it, it was in the Nationalist. If that's what nationalism is, guys, we have to reject it. If it's socialism, if it's uh, the promoting human brotherhood, we have to reject it. What do you mean by human brotherhood? Human, like, like a universalism of some kind where we're, we're all, you know, this, whatever we do in our country is supposed to be like, we're all equal, I guess. We're, what do you mean by human brotherhood? Um, again, vague, but this is, you know, appealing to human brotherhood is something that Marxists have appealed to for a long time. I mean, that's why Marxist, it, Marxism is international socialism. 
it's it's looking at things rigid classical marxism is looking at things by class and that's more defining and more important than any of your national or local um regional differences or religious differences etc but you can you can smell that you can smell the internationalism in a movement that's calling itself nationalistic and this is really where the term nationalism becomes popular in america it doesn't have a great origin but that's not what beth moore's talking about right these guys are on the left so they should like nationalism right but they don't webster's 1828 dictionary says national they don't have nationalism nationalism is not in the dictionary in 1828 but the word nationalize is it's a verb transitive to make national to give to one the character and habits of a nation or the peculiar attachments which belong to citizens of the same nation it's something that used to be understood there's differences between people the the t- there's a really good podcast that Stephen wolf and thomas accord put out uh on a a sense of place uh i'll try to link it in the info notes as well um and and, and they go over this and it's just it's it, this is something that used to be universally pretty much understood in the western world and now it, we've lost it we don't understand and this is why we're having an identity crisis part of the reason for it um but but this is something that used to be understood that there was something peculiar about a nation something different about them something they had different customs religion's part of that they have different um ways of of, they have language ways of talking uh ways of probably cooking uh different art different things they like the manners and habits i mean the, the way that they would court someone the way they would raise children the way they would do just about anything there there's something that could be impacted that was impacted by the place they lived now patriotism here's another word from 1828 webster's dictionary love of one's country the passion which aims to serve one's country either in defending it from invasion or protecting its rights and maintaining its laws and institutions in vigor and purity patriotism is the characteristic of a good citizen the noblest passion that animates a man in the character of a citizen now, when you heard the word patriotism defined in 1828, do you think that that word patriotism bears a closer resemblance to what we think of today as nationalism? Or do you think what I just read from Edward Bellamy and the nationalists, that that bears a closer resemblance? The answer is patriotism. Patriotism today is seen as it's almost like interchangeable the 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 concept that west webster had in 1828 of patriotism is the concept many people and have their in their mind today of nationalism i mean look at it like loving loving your country serving your country uh defending it um protecting its rights i mean rights you hear all these evangelical social justice warriors saying that we shouldn't defend our rights jesus gave up his rights it's we should give up our rights same ones that are disparaging nationalism right um patriotism i think the the concept that existed back then what the founding generation would have thought of patriotism is more close to what we think of today as nationalism here's the current webster's dictionary definition of nationalism loyalty and devotion to a nation especially a sense of national consciousness exalting one nation above all others and placing primary emphasis on promotion of its culture and interests as opposed to other those of other nations or supranational groups it sounds kind of similar to patriotism um 
Now, you know, if you're doing this within the border of your country, if you're defending your country, if you're promoting the ideals of your country, uh, that would be patriotism. Current Webster's Dictionary for patriotism, and so generic, love for or devotion to one's country. That's it. So what's the difference between nationalism and patriotism, according to Webster's today? Uh, nationalism, I guess, is um, it, it's just amped up patriotism. It's loyalty and devotion to a nation, especially a sense of national consciousness, exalting your nation above others, uh, <laughs> emphasizing your nation, promoting its culture. So it's, it's, it's more than just a love and devotion. It's a love and demo devotion that seeks to perpetuate it and defend it. I mean, what good is it to have, you know, what if you have love and devotion for your kids or your wife, your husband, but you're not willing to seek their best interest, to defend them if they're attacked? I mean, so, I mean, I, I, that's what it seems like. Pa nationalism is just amped up patriotism today. Just patriotism times 10 in the minds of uh, probably the left. Um, I thought of when I was looking some of this stuff up, America the Beautiful, 1911, this verse was added to it. Oh, beautiful for heroes proved in liberating strife who more than self their country loved and mercy more than life. Great, you know, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. And who are your friends? Those you know, those close to you, your associates. And those in your country, those um, in your community are closer to you than those who are halfway around the world on a civil level, all right? And, you know, th this is, I, I was looking at this, I was thinking about this, and I was like, is that is that the kind of nationalism that Beth Moore is against? Would she black out this line from America the Beautiful and say this is wrong? I'm, I'm almost getting that impression because the, the you know, I mean, she's, saying, she's talking about Trumpism, but the, the, um, the nationalism that's being so condemned today and yesterday, Sunday <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, you know, what, what is it that they're really so angry about? What is, what is making them so upset? That, that's some Christians and, and some other faiths as well, but it, it was mainly kind of a Christian flair, met in Washington, D.C., Many of them thinking, and, and they weren't all Christians. It was more of a, there was a pro-Trump, I think it was two rallies. It was a, a pro-Trump rally and then uh, pro-election integrity. And then there was a, uh, I think it was the Jericho rally or something. I watched part of it. If I was going to level a criticism, it would be the fact that it's ecumenical. There were some things that were said that I thought, man, like this is kind of, you know, some evangelicals that um, were, you know, I, I'm... I don't have time to get into this in this podcast because it's long enough already, but I don't have a problem with having co-belligerence uh, and having common cause with someone who's uh, a Catholic or a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness even. Um, we can all stand against abortion in certain ways. And I know there's going to be some of you that have a problem with that, and I would have to define out what I mean. I don't believe that you can have light has no fellowship with darkness. I get that. Um, but in a, on a political level, to oppose something that is evil uh, and to do it with someone else who also believes it's evil, but has significant differences with you. I think that's something that you can do. All right. But at this rally, there were some moments where there was, I'm not even getting into the specifics, but there were, there were just some things said that made me, my antenna went up and I'm like, wait a minute, are you saying that this group that doesn't believe in the same kind of salvation that you believe in is that they're, they're going to, they believe the same thing because you don't want to give that impression. And I think that impression was given and that is wrong. Um, you can make that criticism. You can make the criticism.
page were uh, sharing, you know, kind of kooky prophetic things that just, if they don't come true, then, I mean, Old Testament would suggest that person uh, should be killed. I mean, that's Old Testament law. And I'm, I'm not saying you implement that kind of thing today, but you at least would have to dismiss them as being uh, heretical, um, uh, confused at the very least. I mean, there were some things like that. But to say that the problem with the Jericho rally was nationalism, they just love their country too much. They love Trump too much when they're concerned about an election that was fraudulently stolen, or so far, seems that it's going that direction, doesn't it? Um, they're concerned about losing the values that have bound Americans together, election integrity being one of them, a core fundamental one, honesty, uh, following the Constitution and the laws of your states. If, if you make fun of that and call that nationalism or Trumpism, that's scary. What does that mean? I mean, you're, you're against, you don't want election integrity? What, what? And crying out to God to say, Lord, we need you now? I mean, that should be the natural response. Where are these evangelical leftists? Why don't they have their own rally? And then they can cry out to God. I don't see them doing that. I don't see them going out and saying, we need to pray and we need to repent and we need to, uh, we, we need to w wash our hands and make sure that, you know, I don't, living in holiness, and I don't see any of that. And that's the thing that bothers me. I'll be honest with you. I'm speaking on an emotional level now, but it does. To see these people condemn these other, these, this group of people that went to Washington, D.C. yesterday because of some of the errors that, uh, or not because of the errors, but they ignored the errors and they condemned them for really what amounts to a good reason to gather and to not have any alternative, to not be crying, not supporting something, you know, an, a, an event to cry out to God and to ask him for mercy, uh, but to condemn those who are trying to do it, even if they're doing it incorrectly or not as good as maybe you could do it. I mean, it's just, at least someone's trying to do something. I mean, that's, I'm speaking from my gut here. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's to our shame then. If, if there's people that don't have good theology leading these things, it's to, it's to our shame. Because Beth Moore, now Beth Moore doesn't have good theology, but <laughs> if she did, certainly these professors at Southern Seminary would have better theology than some of the people that were speaking there, I think. I don't know anymore. But it's to their shame. Why aren't they out doing, why, why aren't they having a, an event? Why aren't they crying out to God? Why aren't they encouraging um, uh, Christians to pray? and to try to hold up righteousness in this country. The Lord hates unequal weights and measures. I don't have a good answer. Um, I know, though, there's a political battle, and this is for the heart and soul of not just America, but Western civilization, Christian civilization, civilization that has been influenced by Christian ideas. Sun is setting, and I know that those on uh, who are condemning this Christian nationalism stuff are on the other side of this. They're, they're, they're moving the needle towards the World Economic Forum, towards the Chinese Communist Party. And they may not, some of them may not even know it. That's how it's breaking down, though. A couple things to share with you uh, in closing here. I hope that, how would I, I mean, this is sort of stream of consciousness, but I'm hoping that you're, you're getting some of these things. It's making sense. Things are clicking. Uh, I mean, hopefully now if someone says, hey, are you a nationalist? You can only say to them, well, hey, what, in the sense of uh, Edward Bellamy? Well, no, I'm not a socialist. That's where, you know, the term nationalist became popular. Uh, are you talking about the civil religion? Uh, I mean, people think you're really smart, I guess, of, 
uh, uh, Bella's civil, Robert Bella's civil religion, because in that sense, I guess, you know, maybe I am in some ways. Uh, you know, I do believe that Christianity should influence this country. Uh, and then you can start parsing these things out. But I, I want to come back to some biblical truth here. This is not uh, all the biblical truth. This is, you know, this is just some verses that came to my head when I was thinking through this. What is culture? Daniel 1. Then the king told Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no impairment, who were good-looking, suitable for instruction in every kind of expertise, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability to serve in the king's court. And he ordered Ashpenaz to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So what do you hear here? Liter this is this is a captivity. This is we're taking. It's kind of like what the Turks did did with the Janissaries. They would take um, young people from the enemies countries, and then they'd make them. You know, we're going to train them up to be the new leaders, because uh, you know, there's they understand culture. That's why they do this because they understand people are more willing to follow someone who is like them in many ways. So we're going to take those people and we're going to get them to be on our side. This is why you have, I mean, look, uh, the, the Marxists figured this out a long time ago. Have people in Christian organizations that aren't socialistic, those organizations, have, have your plants in there because people are more likely to follow them. Have people in the Republican Party who do your bidding because people in that party are more likely to follow them. They're, they don't, they're, their guard is down. They're not sensing a double agent. They're not, they, they don't think that this person is a, an enemy. Well, this is what's happening. Uh, they're taking them away. They're going to train them. And where, how are they training them? Well, it says uh, literature and language. Huh. Two key concepts of what that make a culture. To, to, so to recruit people from one culture to another, one of the things they're doing is teaching them literature and language. The king also allotted for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. So now we have food and ordered that they be educated for three years, and at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. And we know what happened with the story. Daniel said, I'm not doing this. He made up his mind. He's not going to defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. And there was a religious reason for that. It was a conflict of interest. And we know what happened if you read the story. What I wanted to exemplify here, what I wanted to show you is that... Um, <laughs> culture was understood those the, the 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 israelites had religious objections so well some of them did most of them did not <laughs> some of them did but culture was understood by their captors this is how we're going to get you in this is how and and religion was part of it because the food and the religion kind of went hand in hand I don't know that people on the evangelical left understand culture. And I think that's part of the disconnect, honestly. They seem to think that you can just, that, that culture must be completely divorced from religion. And we find in this passage, food and culture even and, and religion all went together. And often that is the case. And in the United States, we've had... Uh, the benefit of having Christianity influence our institutions so much and our culture that 
Uh, I mean, you look at, you go back a little over 100 years and you got a socialist saying, man, I can't market socialism here unless I call it America and I tried Americanism and I tried to um, nationalism and I uh, try to recruit Christianity somehow because it's part of Christianity because the people are so influenced by Christianity still. They need to know that this isn't in conflict with Christianity, that actually this is part of Christianity. That used to be our country. Now you, if you want to call that Christian nationalism, then call it Christian nationalism. But I just call it a country that was influenced very heavily by Christianity. Here's some verses to think about. Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen for his own inheritance. This isn't just about Israel. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And there has been a time, there for a, for a while there's been a time, when there was at least an acknowledgement of the Lord in this country. That has been attacked. That has been fading for years. There's still pockets of it left. You saw a pocket of it on Saturday. An attempt to place this country under the jurisdiction of God. Acknowledge that placement, at least. Does that mean that certain nations are not blessed? Well, yes, it does. <laughs> certain nations are blessed more than others. If you deny that, then you're not being biblical. Genesis twenty two eighteen. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, why would you quote that, John? Because this is a promise that's given by God to Abraham. And it's, he's going to be a father of many nations. Many nations. He's going to have a land, an inheritance. But through him, the nations of the world are, are blessed through the Messiah. Seed, singular, the seed, Messiah. This, this means there's actually something special about this particular nation because that particular nation, you see this in Romans chapter 9 and 11, of this particular nation of Israel is going to be the one that blesses other nations. Joshua 4, 5 through 7. Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. This shall be a sign among you when your children ask later, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones shall be a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Is that Christian nationalism? Or you know, it wasn't Christianity at that time. Is that, you know, religious nationalism? Uh, is that acceptable to the evangelical left? That kind of thing. They say, well, that's Israel. Well, yeah, it is Israel. And there's just, like I just said, Israel's got a special place in all this. But there's also a blessedness that comes with a nation whose God is the Lord. And Israel's law was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. Copy this. There's also different laws applying to the foreigner. That was another thing I thought of. Um, you see this even with slavery in uh, the ancient Hebrew uh, laws. Uh, the foreigners could be held in perpetuity, and Israelis could not. And there, there were other laws that also that were different for uh, those who were Jewish and those who were not. Even though the foreigners were expected to keep the laws of Israel. But there was a difference. 
And that's not a bad thing. Because if you say it is, then you have to have a you have a problem with the law of God somewhere. Was God exclusive? Was God God didn't care about diversity? Was God not for equity? Questions. Now, here, here's an objection you might find. Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said this, and I want to read for you a couple other passages from Paul. Romans 9.3, For I wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Did he love his kinsmen, his Jewish kinsmen, more? It kind of sounds like it. Had a special love for them, didn't he? I mean, if you told your wife or your husband, you know, I love you, um, but I, but I, just like I love every other person in the world, I mean, that's not much of a love. There's a special love. And it's okay to have a special love for your people. Paul exemplifies it. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's natural to have that. Nations are extensions of families. Acts 25, 16, I replied to them that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over any person before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense against the charges. This is Paul saying, I appeal to my Roman citizenship because he was a Roman citizen as well. Paul using his Roman privilege here. Hmm. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Acts 17. Looks like God has some borders he set up. Is that a problem that God has done this? He's appointed the times and the boundaries of their habitation. The, all three of these quotes are from the Apostle Paul, the same man who said our citizenship is in heaven. Sounds like Paul was actually trying to make a different point in Philippians 3 than to eliminate the citizenship and attachments that we have on this earth because he appeals to the privileges that come with some of those attachments. He expresses the love he has that come with some of those attachments for his kinsmen. He talks about in the sovereignty of God how boundaries, borders have been ordained. Paul wasn't dreaming of a borderless utopia where everyone is completely uh, included and has the same exact rights, privileges, whatever. I'm sorry, that's not the Paul we see in Scripture. That's not what he was saying in Philippians 3.20. So I, I hope this helped you. I want to go back to the beginning. Um, you know, this is a lot. <laughs> I went way past, you know, what Beth Moore is saying uh, about... Trumpism and Christian nationalism. But I think it's important for us to understand everything I just went over. I think if we, if we have a grasp on this, if we know better than the progressive left, if we understand what nationalism is, we can define their terms better than they can. Um, if we can ask them questions with the knowledge of what kinds of legitimate avenues they have to define the term nationalism. Uh, if we understand, I think, even biblically, and, and, and historically, uh, what has been natural and what has been the case in not just our con context in the United States, but what, I mean, look, ancient Israel was given to us. Those stories are given to us as a model. God's law is given to us as a model. We're, we're supposed to be looking at these things. We're supposed to be gleaning from these things and learning from them. And that means that God wasn't giving us, a, he wasn't giving us a bad model. He wasn't giving us evil things. 
to copy. So if we understand just for some, a little bit of history, if we understand what the Bible says, I don't think we're, we're going to be taken in by this stuff, this condemnation of Christian nationalism. Um, so I, I hope that helps you. Uh, I really do. I, I hope that uh, that was at least beneficial analysis. Uh, there was another video I was going to run today, and uh, I had it scheduled and all and, and ready to go. And then and this whole thing um, broke out, and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to hold off on that and because I just want to talk about this Christian nationalism stuff. It is a boogeyman. It is a scare tactic. It is a tactic to bludgeon the other side. It is dishonest. It is imprecise. Uh, these are supposedly really, um, you know, smart people who publish books and work at seminaries that are using this imprecise language. And it's time that we just don't, we, we don't pay any attention to it. We don't give it any kind of a platform as far as we, we, we don't take it seriously because there is nothing to take serious here. They, they need to define their terms and, and then uh, we need to challenge them, which is what I challenge you to do. So God bless, and uh, if you last chance, if you want to get this before Christmas, you better go to socialjusticegoestochurch.com and order your copy today. Some of the information I shared in this particular video was included in this book. God bless. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.